You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay, and today we have an interview with Roy Thomas. Roy has been on the show a few times, but he's back again to talk about what if. And this is a very interesting interview for me because uh, uh, what if is just something that generally isn't talked about. He probably gets asked about, you know, the Avengers and everybody all the time. But not what if. So this is kind of cool. We go through um, a bunch of those early issues that he was a part of uh, creating and writing, how he formed the series to begin with. And as we touch a little bit on the stuff from the 90s when he was asked to return to the book uh, for the second volume. I want to give a special thank you to uh, Roy's manager, John Cimino, for organizing this and setting it up for me. I appreciate that. Thank you, John. Uh, And if you want to uh, check us out on Facebook or on Instagram or on Twitter, just head over to epicmarvelpodcast.com. You'll find links there, or you can uh, just search for Epic Marvel Podcast on any one of those social media sites, and uh, you should find us. I also have an Epic Collection Facebook group if you'd like to join that and talk about Epic Collections. That's a big interest of mine, as you can tell. And, uh, And yeah, talk about all of those as well as the complete collections, like the what-if ones that I'm basing my questions off of today. Uh, Okay, well, you know, I think we should probably just get on with the interview. What do you think? Yeah? Yeah. Okay, so here's a quick commercial break, and then we'll just get right in there with Roy Thomas talking about what-if. I have been reading the editorial comments made in the letter pages that have been collected in these books. I'm going to try and ask some questions that aren't covered in those little write-ups uh, there. I, I wouldn't remember anyway because it's been so long since I wrote the, <laughs> okay. the, any of the stories or, or the letters. Of course, I, I didn't write every issue, even the third issue I didn't write. And, yep. and then, of course, after a few issues, I pretty much gave it up. But I did start it off and thought I was going to write it forever for a long time. And I decided, I don't want to do this. You know, It was, it was fun. It was fun, but a few stories sort of did it for me. Yeah. How long had you been sitting with this concept um, before it actually became reality? And was it a hard sell? To, I assume you pitched um, it to Stan? It was about, oh, that was about five minutes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no, what happened is, no, really, it's true. Uh, whenever whenever I quit being editor-in-chief in late 74, uh, Stan, you know, we'd had our differences, because, you know, everything like that, you know, because we weren't kind of quite on the same page with what the company wanted, this and that. So it was just time for me to go. and I, I wasn't that happy in the job. But when I when I left, I decided that what I wanted to do, much as I loved all the Marvel characters and so forth, and I had a lot of fun writing, especially Avengers and a few others, I wanted to do myself out of that whole 
whole world. I love the whole continuity of Marvel. You know, I'm really in favor of it. But I wanted to not have to worry anymore about what was going on in this book or that book. It was a way of distancing myself from having been the editor-in-chief and before that the associate editor for something like, you know, what was it, nine years I was involved in, you know, almost everything, at least peripherally. Yeah. So I wanted to find things where I didn't have to think about the mainstream Marvel books. Well, and, and, you know, I was already on that road. I had Conan, the Barbarian. Yeah. I had Savage Sword of Conan was just getting started uh, after Savage Tales. Uh, Red Sonja was kind of getting, you know, about to get started and so forth. Those were all books. Nobody else could write those characters. I didn't have to worry about what, what Spider-Man was doing. It was almost like it was a different world. So I had to think up ideas. And I thought of two ideas very quickly that I wanted to do. And I don't remember the order or whatever, uh, but one of them was the Invaders because that was different. That was separated from the Marvel mainstream by time, right? Right. It was a story set in 1942, so I wouldn't have to collaborate. I wouldn't have to talk to the guy who's writing Captain America or if there was a Submariner book or any other book. And the other one was I was looking for something else to do, and I and Stan used to always, he used the expression, why if? Obviously, he didn't make it up. It's existed forever, forever, but um, he would but he would often use it, just like to use Brand Eck and various other phrases, uh, and he would, he would say, you know, what if this happened? And what if that happened? Happened. You know, everybody says things like this. Stan said it a lot, but, you know, it wasn't like a catchphrase, but it sort of stuck in my mind. And one day I was trying to think of, of something and, and I was sort of, I guess I was sort of thinking of things like the uh, the Superman imaginary stories, you know, and that kind of thing, which I didn't really like because they're all like dreams and imaginary tales, you know, and so right. forth. And I didn't want to do dreams and imaginary tales, but I did love the parallel world thing. You know, I mean, I was a big fan of Julie Schwartz's parallel worlds with Earth 2 and Earth 3 and Earth 12 and all the others and so forth and had ended up, you know, uh, would end up writing them myself later on. So I decided that the thing to do was to make it not an imaginary, what was it they used to say, not a dream, not an imaginary story, you know, but to have it be like it's another dimension. And uh, so I said, uh, you know, so I gave this idea, you know, what if we did these stories? There's like other dimensional versions. We can have, we can show what would have happened if, um, you know, if marriage, well, you know, I didn't get around to Mary Jane had lived, but if, if uh, you know, if, uh, if Spider-Man had joined the Fantastic Four back in that first story when he was trying to, and, and you know, if the Hulk had Bruce Banner's brain, and if this happened, then that happened. And Stan just said, yeah, that sounds good. You can do that. You know, so we went off and they made it this uh, giant, you know, book and everything. But there, you know, uh, but I, you know, I had this, uh, I had the book. That was it. It really, I just thought of it like right before I told Stan, I think, you know, it wasn't something I planned out and did a, a proposal or anything. It was just all going in and spitballing to Stan for five minutes. And I had myself another assignment. Same thing <laughs> had happened with the invaders. Yeah. Same thing happened with Gary on Ghost Rider, you know, when, when we went in there with Gary's Ghost Rider idea. You know, if, if Stan if Stan got something, he got it. You know, if he didn't get it, you, you, you could take hours. You're never going to convince him. But if he got it, you didn't have to go through any kind of thing. Well, draw a proposal, have John or me to draw some pictures, do this, do that. I said, no, it's okay. Work it out. So yeah. well, I walk in with uh, an idea and I walk out with uh, an assignment. It's perfect. Did you also make the decisions like giving it a larger page count and making it a bi-monthly book and that kind of thing? Uh, that was really more Stan. I wasn't really pushing for the size. Okay. That was really Stan's kind of thing, you know. But of course, it, it, it worked very well because it, you, you had more room. Otherwise, you had 17, 18 pages 
it was a little hard to get it started because you wanted to have a different thing. I, I wanted every issue, you know, to be a different character. And then yeah. you can always circle around. And as I told Stan, you know, you you can do, eventually you can do five different versions of, uh, you know, of, of what if this happened. You know, you could go back a year or two later and do another version. Something else could happen. There's an infinite number of infinite worlds. Now, in these early issues, you were um, editor for a lot of them, even after you stopped writing. But did you... I was um, editor of all of them. Yeah. Uh, were, so were these yeah. the ideas of each issue, were they your ideas, or did you leave that up to, to the writers who came up with their own ideas? Well, it, it kind of varied. The original, the early ones were mine, you know, things that I thought of right away. And, one, and those I mostly wrote myself, except for that one, which was kind of a funny idea, but I didn't feel like writing it. So I gave it to Gary near the end. What if Sergeant... Jerry fought World War II in outer space. That right. was just some kind of nutty idea that, you know, but I didn't want to do it myself. Uh, some of the ideas later on, as I got uh, my friend Don Glute that I saw a lot out there in L.A. Uh, after I, you know, moved up there when I was starting to step up, some of them were his ideas, some of them were mine ideas. Uh, like the idea of the 1950s Avengers, more or less, that was my idea, and that was one that, that that's the only one, and not that Don didn't do a good job, but that's one of the only ones that I wish I'd written myself, you know, just, just because I was real close to that one. Right. But Don did a, a good job with it. He brought in that robot and gorilla. Those were his ideas. My idea was I wanted to make, I wanted to use the 3D man who was uh, my new character, and I wanted to use two or three of the old characters like Marble Boy, you know, and whatever, and uh, uh, you know, and, and just say what what if the what if there had been some kind of group in the fifties, you know. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, some of them were my ideas, some of them were Don's ideas, or I would have an idea and then I turn it over to Don and he could do whatever he wanted to with, you know, with it, you know. And one of them. One of them was Scott Shaw's idea. Scott Shaw's uh, first comic book story probably was, we were talking at the comic book store where he worked at that time. I don't think he had done any professional comics work. And he says, uh, um, you know, I said, yeah, you would, we just talked. I said, well, you know, why don't you do a story about, you know, what if a, radio, what if a radioactive boy bit a spider or something? Because <laughs> I, I lost all the kind of fun to do a spider. And, you know, it was... We just something we started talking about, and you know maybe it was his idea. We were just kind of talking about what we could do, you know. And I just thought, well, you know, it's going to be a seven, eight page story in the back of the book. How bad can it be? It's not going to cause anybody not to buy the book, <laughs> and it, it might be funny. And it, and it turned out to be, you know, kind of a nice little story. I love that because it, it also set the precedent for more humorous stuff in the future as well. <laughs> Which it became an ongoing yeah. thing for what if it was really good. I guess I didn't pay much attention to it after I left it. You know, yeah. once, once my stories were done, I never paid much attention to it again until I until they got the second version, the second volume coming around years later, and they asked me to write what the first issue, and then I. I did a number of them later, almost all of them in conjunction with my friend Jean-Marc Lofissier, who actually did most of the uh, conceptualizing and plotting, and we would just talk it over, and I'd end up writing the actual dialogue and kind of guiding the story, but it was more his story in a lot of cases. Now, there's a name that I don't hear very often, uh, Lofissier. Can you tell me more about him? Yeah, Jean-Marc Lofissier uh, is a, a, a Frenchman who had come to live in um, in L.A., and I, I met him and his wife, Randy, who's American. Uh, they, they, had, they had met, they're very bright people. I think they met at a Mensa meeting. That shows you something right wow. there. Oh, Very man. bright people. Yeah. Uh, we, we, yeah, we got to meet them at, at parties of this science fiction group. That's just, uh, what's it called? The uh, Las Vegas, the Los Angeles Science Fantasy. You know, Ray Bradbury used to belong to it, Larry Nivett. But anyway, it was just a, a group of people got together, liked science fiction. They liked, Some of them liked fantasy and comics. And we met them there in passing. And somehow about the time Dan and I, and right after we got married in early 81, somehow we got, uh, for a little while, they lived a few miles away from us before they moved up to the valley and 
So we just got to be good friends, and we used to see them about once every week, every, every Sunday, just about. We'd have dinner together. We were very close. They moved back to, uh, to France now and lived in uh, the Carcassonne area of France for some years. And Jean Marc was one of these people that, you know, he, he just he collected all these tidbits of information about comics. He, he was interested in, in all sorts of fantasy, science fiction, you know, of today, yesterday, Jules Verne, you know, uh, Pagliostro, real people, fictional stuff. Yeah. And he, he liked to tie it all together into two stories the same way that I know I, there were other people did that. What, Jose Philip Farmer, I think, did a lot of that in prose with his one when he had that river series or something where everybody's going down a river and, and everybody in the world is on this river that everybody ever lived or something. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of that kind of stuff. And John Mark liked to do that in. Uh, in comics, and I found it, you know, I, I, I was into some of that stuff, not with the breadth of knowledge he had, but enough that I could appreciate it. Later, when I went to D.C., you know, we worked together on uh, some issues of Young All-Stars and things, too, where we brought in, uh, we showed how Neptune Perkins was related to, uh, you know, Captain Nemo and things of that sort, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And so uh, when he came in in the 90s, he, he, we just teamed up because he wanted to do some writing, and I, I sort of wanted to do some writing, but I didn't have a lot of ideas I wanted to do for what if anymore. I'd gotten those kind of out of my system. So we would, but he would come up with some kind of nutty idea for a story I hadn't even read, you know, like what if Wolverine became king of the vampires? I didn't know anything about that. Okay. And we would talk over a little bit, and then he'd, he'd work on a story, and I would just make sure it was okay, and then I'd end up writing the actual dialogue that was drawn and so forth. And, you know, and uh, we made a kind of a nice team and had a lot of fun with it made a few bucks all of those stories uh, or at least most of them I think that you did for the second volume you brought back for that uh, time quake story was that the one that was like four or five issues in a row that's was that right kind of the first what if continued stories yeah that was mostly Jean-Marc right? oh okay we, we, I mean we you know we, he had this idea and said well let's see if we can sell them on doing several issues in a row and they went for it and we had some fun with it oh, nice yeah it turned but I'd have never done that on my own um, so going back to the very first uh, What If volume, the, the Conan story yeah. that you did uh, yeah, my favorite. seemed to be plagued with a lot of problems, right? It was It's one of the best issues, let me tell you. It's so good. Yeah, the only problem was, I don't know, get, you know, getting it done. Maybe John didn't have time to work on it then and this and that. It kept getting uh, delayed, didn't it? Yes. It, it, in a pretty much every issue leading up to that, you say, okay, I think it's going to be next time. I think it's going to be the next issue, yeah. <laughs> but it never got there. It wasn't that I had it sitting around and I wasn't dialogue. It Maybe John, you know, because he had other stuff and it was a non-scheduled story, maybe yeah. he got pulled off to do other things and that kind of thing. It, it, it wasn't, you know, because uh, it wasn't because John didn't do it fast or just because maybe he had something else he had to do first or something and we kept delaying it. That's all, though. That, that's the only thing. It, it wasn't like, uh, you know, some other situations where the artist was screwing up or the uh, writer was screwing up. We, right. just, we just had other things. So it just got put off and became, what, number 13 or something. Lucky number yeah. 13. Well, I can see he put so much effort into it because the artwork is just incredible in that issue as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he only did breakdowns. A lot of the artwork in there, there's an awful lot of that that's really Chan. In fact, the wonderful likeness, although John could certainly do this, the wonderful likenesses from photographs of my uh, then girlfriend, now wife, Dan, they were all that, all, most of that stuff that, that looked so real and so good and so realistic was uh, was pretty much done by Ernie. Right. Yeah, he, he's an incredible John talent. John did all the storytelling and that kind of thing, but Ernie, uh, Ernie put a lot into that. John didn't like Ernie's work much, but I think they made a great team. They they did. What was his issue with with Ernie's work? Well, he didn't. Well, he didn't like the inkers that I put on that 
that that sort of that noodled things up and put a lot of extra you know lines in it. Like oh, he hated Alfredo Alcala. Oh, you know, okay. he hated Alfredo Alcala's Zigzagabi. Yeah. Which, uh, but the thing is, I I told Jai, I said, look, I said we got this thing. We're we're competing with the memory of Barry Smith, you know, who had just quit. And by the time Barry had quit the book, he was drawing every damn leaf on the tree, you know. <laughs> right. Yes. And uh, which is one reason you had to quit because you know you can't make any money. They can't keep giving you more and more money just because you're drawing more and more blades of grass, you know, good as it was. So, uh, John, I said, John, if you want to ink it yourself, okay. And then he would, it would be totally different. It would have, you know, a very spare kind of look. But I said, if you're not going to ink it yourself, and especially once his brother Sal inked one issue and begged off, said that I've got to be free to put on somebody that I think is going to do the best job of selling it. And I said, I think we need, we need somebody. And it was really ultimately my decision, subject to Stan, really not his, but I, I wanted him to not give me too much trouble about it. I said, then we need somebody who's going to give a lot. I, I want a lot of detail, not because that detail is, is better than what you put in. In fact, it's the two things together. It's his solid drawing and storytelling. And then with all this, the noodling and the detail by uh, Ernie Chan or Ernie Chua, as he was then called, in the uh, color comic and Alfredo Alcala and occasional other people in the black and white books. But Stan, uh, he, he hated them both. Oh. <laughs> I think he, I think he hated Alfredo more than Ernie, but he didn't like either. He did like Tony Zuniga because Tony made it look a little more like him. It looked more like John's work with a little more finesse and almost photographic feel to it. He liked the uh, Zuniga, but he didn't like any of the other Filipino artists. Okay, wow. <laughs> Um, tell me about the Jack Kirby Marvel bullpen issue. That is such a unique issue in those early oh, that, days. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that was kind of funny. Uh, yeah, Jack kind of double-crossed me there, but it was okay. I was happy. I'm happy he did it. Uh, I, among the ideas I had for the beginning, one of the ones I wanted to do, I thought it would be kind of fun if we did a thing where the Marvel bullpen, which I had in mind to be Stan, uh, Jack, Flo Steinberg, because she had been there through 68, was one of the few women there. Otherwise, it could have been Marie, I suppose, and uh, myself, you know. And so I gave that as the assignment to, to Jack, and uh, and and he, he was going to kind of, you know, plot it and kind of plot it out. So I had relatively little to do with the story. I finally decided, you know, I'll just let, I said, Jack, you, you know, I don't remember how the money worked out, but he, but he could just do whatever he wanted to do with the story and everything. And I was, I would come in and write it later on. And that he was supposed to use those four people. When I got the thing back, he had, he had sort of wiped, wiped me out of the whole thing <laughs> oh, no. and put in Saul Brodsky. Right. Well, you know, I was a little annoyed because I was going to be the human torch in the story of and, course. and everything. I had figured, I had figured out stands, Mr. Fantastic and Jack. Jack, of course, is the thing, and flows the invisible girl, or yeah. the inevitable girl, or whatever it was. And uh, and he'd, he'd gotten me out and put in Saul, you know, who uh, had been the production manager. But then I got to thinking about it. Saul Brodsky, he was there from the beginning, you know, a couple of years, two or three years before I was, four years, really. Uh, he did the he did the uh, logo for the Fantastic Four. That upper lowercase logo is Saul. Wow. He inked issues three and four. So I thought, you know, hey, Saul Brodsky deserves to be in this. You know, nobody knows who Saul Brodsky is. He didn't have that much name value to the readers. But I said, you know, it makes a lot of sense. So I just let Jack go for it, right? And the only thing we had to change was uh, Jack liked to uh, kind of annoy Stan occasionally by doing little things. And one of the things he liked to do, just to get back at Stan because he knew he didn't like him, the like it was to call him Stanley, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, which is, of course, his real name, but Stan hated it. He, he didn't like being called Stanley. He said he had taken that name and made it into Stanley, and he didn't like it. 
And every time that Jack used the word Stanley in the uh, text, that was the only change. He looked at us and said, that's okay, but just take all the Stanleys and just make them Stan. <laughs> so, we had to, that's, so we had to change those all the way through the story, you know. Other, other than that, uh, it, was, it, was, it was kind of a nutty story. I mean, what, what kind of thing is this? I mean, you got the S people, and the S stands for scrawls. I mean, yeah. it's not much of a mystery. <laughs> no. you know? But so, so the thing that was really good about it was, A, the idea, for which I will take unblushing credit yeah. and B everything that Jack did in terms of just the art and conceptualization with uh, including having Saul be the, the uh, human torch but I mean and he even had some good lies I love the one words where uh, Saul is flying in the air as the human torch and and uh and everything and then he starts to fall and it says I, I'm you know I'm uh, I'm falling he says you're surprised or whatever it was you know <laughs> yeah. I mean it was kind of funny Jack was without my he wasn't at that stage the kind of right doing the kind of writing that Stan would really like at Marvel but he he, he was a, such a bright guy, and, and he's such a conceptualizer, and he could turn a good phrase sometime too, you know. So, so I let that go, and I think I think probably that's the most significant to me, the most significant issue of of what if in any one of the series is the fact that it was really, in a sense, if you count it, it was Jack Kirby's very final Fantastic Four story. Right. Yeah, that's true. Later on, they they dragged some things out of the storyboards he'd done and made a comic, or they published the comic that he had turned in that they sat on for a while. But this was his real swan song with the Fantastic four that he didn't want to do anymore but he didn't count that because this was really not the fantastic four but to us it was you know what were Saul and Flo's reactions to this story did they enjoy it too yeah I don't think the funny thing is I should have checked with uh, I mean I stand knew about it Saul may have at some stage when it was drawn anyway Saul learned about that was fine Uh, Flo wasn't even working there anymore although I still saw her what's funny is I should have already got it from they could have sued us you know but but, you know but I I don't remember if she knew about it before it was published or drawn or whatever. I just don't recall. Okay. But she thought it was great. Good. Uh, Okay, so one of the other issues that you kind of hint at in some of these uh, letters pages that never really came to be was an X-Men Magneto story that you originally said was going to be Claremont and Adams, and then later on it was Claremont and Byrne, but it never happened. Do you know what happened with that issue? Were they just too busy? No, that was probably something they... Were were they doing the X-Men already by then? Uh, Yes. Well, in in that case, it would have been something probably that they wanted to do, you know, or Chris came to me or something. I, I really don't remember, but I'm sure that... I'm sure it wasn't one of my ideas. I'm sure it was some idea of Chris's, you know, okay. either by himself or in conjunction with the artist. Uh, because by, th- by that stage, you know, I was getting ready to leave. You know, the bloom began to go off the rose a little bit for me just because I had invented this to be my series that I was going to write. Yeah. And without telling me, um, I guess Archie is the editor. So they rung in a, a uh, you know, it wasn't like I was later, that they suddenly rung in a, uh, a filler issue on me with number three by having Shooter write this I suppose it's a fairly good issue. What if the Avengers had never been? People yeah. say it's a very good issue, but that's not the point. The point is they they threw in this filler issue on me without telling me until they did it, and I just I really got annoyed, you know. And I said, you know, I, I just didn't feel I was being treated very well so, uh, right. on the thing, and I, it sort of it sort of put a bad taste in my mouth. Maybe I'd have left anyway, but it kind of hastened the thing. The other issue, of course, I really enjoyed doing was uh, the one that isn't a what if story at all and was never intended to be, except that I needed a place to publish it, which is the uh, the one about the invaders. Right. I was going to ask you about that one too. Uh, and why, why was the invader series? It was running at the time. Um, yes. So why didn't you put it in that series?
series instead of in here. Well, it would have been because it, it would have been the future. This was a story that takes place in 1945 and after. Right after the invasion ended. 45, 46. Yeah, it, 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 it's the end of the war and then the yeah. uh, the time of the uh, the two all winners stories. It was you know there was, as you know there was uh, all winners 19. Yep. With the first all winners squad story, there was all winners 21 with the second all winners story, but there was never an all winners number 20. The number was taken up by some other book, whether it was a humor <laughs> book or a this or a that, whatever it was. So I thought, well, maybe there was an all winners 20. So I made up the story. I, and also, it had to do with Engelhart, really. One of the things that Engelhart did some of his best stories on uh, was the Captain America series. You know, he yeah. did a great Captain America, he did all these weird, far out things with it. And one of the things that, one of the only ones of those that was at all my idea was I said, you know, Steve, I'd like you to do something with the why it is that Captain America got frozen in 45 and thawed out in 63 or whatever it was. But, you know, what about all these stories that were post war and then took place in the 50s? You know, all the, all the ones that were from 45 to 49 and then, and then for that year year in 53-54. And anyway, Steve did about half of that. He decided, uh, and I didn't push you on this, he just went off and did the 50s one and made him this kind of nut, you know, and everything, which was not at all the thing I would have done. But I thought, well, you know, I didn't write it. Steve made a good story out of it. That's just fine. But when he was done with it, I thought, you know, he did a, he did he did the 50s. But, you know, he the, the guy never took care of the 1945 to 1949 Captain America. So I ended up with a story, which well, I think there's this, what, three different Captain Americas by the time this one story is over. Yeah, right? yeah. I took both the Patriot, yep. who was the low-level Captain America that had been in Marvel mystery, and then the character I had made up, the Spirit of 76, who was my ripoff of the Fighting Yank character from the standard comics. And I, you know, what, killed off one of them and then had the other one take over. And and then I felt good, because now I've taken care of Cap- Captain America from 1941 <laughs> yep. through 63 and beyond, and it was all taken care of now. And but I, I couldn't do it in Invaders because it would be like a future story. Right, right. So I did it in What If, and it was like What If they did, but I mentioned right at the time that this is different because this is a story that is canonical, yep. to the extent we use those words. Um, and I wanted it to be considered such, and I said so from the very beginning, you know, unlike every other story that I know of that appeared in What If. There may have been others, but that was the only one I was ever associated with. And it certainly has stood the test of time, because even in Mark Wade's uh, new miniseries that he's been doing, uh, that he did recently, The History of the Marvel Universe, they make a special, special note of that, that issue of What If, to place it firmly in continuity there, too. So... It's, well, good. Yeah, well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen some of that in the last series. I, you know, I've read comics for a few decades, but uh, um, yeah, I, uh, you know, it, it was it was meant to be. I mean, obviously, you can't, you can never stop somebody from coming along and saying, it seems like a lot of them do nowadays. Barkway not being one of them, yeah. that says everything you know is wrong. I'm the only person that knows what really happened. You know, and I get sick of that. I think that's that's a terrible uh, egotistical way to deal it, and so egotistical. It's usually stupid, but uh, <laughs> because uh, there have been a lot of other good people, that, and maybe the guy just is good enough to recognize what was done. But in this case, uh, you know, somebody. I'm glad they recognized that that story existed. I'm glad they continue to do it. Yeah. If they didn't, I'd still doubt it. You know, but I mean, what's what's the difference? It's just it's just a bunch of you know ink lines and right, exactly <laughs> colored eyes on paper. You know, everything. You know, and they could they were, they were always going back at Marvel and saying this that some inconvenient truth didn't happen. What was it? when Hank Pym slapped Wasp one time and yeah, right. they went back and that didn't happen. Oh. And I was saying, ah, oh, yeah, come on. He got drunk and he hit <laughs> back around a little bit. What the hell? <laughs> you know, so, you know and everybody, everybody's done something. I, I always found that kind of a, a cop-out, you know. 
Okay, one last question here. Uh, what were your parameters sure. for creating a what-if story? Well, I wanted to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but did you have certain certain things that you wouldn't allow? I never had to worry too much. No, I just felt I'd come over the character and say, well, it's, in a sense, I suppose I was thinking, you know, what did I want to know that this character could have done? And, you know, they were just all little questions I asked myself. Spider-Man almost joined the Fantastic Four, right? If they'd given, if they'd given him 50 bucks a week, he was just a teenager, he could probably sign up. But he said, no money, I'm not coming. I thought, gee, that that would have altered Marvel history if he had done that, yeah. you know, and so forth. And uh, nowadays, this kind of story has no meaning because everybody's in the Avenger, everybody's been in the Fantastic Four. <laughs> right. It's called the Fantastic Four Four Hundred. It can be called the Fantastic Four Hundred now, yeah, because everybody's been in a group, and uh, everybody's been an X Men. If they, you know, probably even some non mutants. So, but at that time, it was kind of rare. So I thought, well, you know, what if what if he stuck around? What if you know Bruce Banner? You know, uh, in those early stories, Bruce Banner and the, the Hulk brain. Sometimes he talked like the thing. Sometimes he talked like Reed Richards. You know, sometimes he didn't seem to talk at all. So I just figured, well, what if he had kept that brain, you know, and what if uh, what if Conan came in the 20th century and what if this happened and what if that happened? They were just things that I came up with and, you know, and then later uh, other people just caught the bug. I mean, one of the first really was Don who, you know, or I'd have some sort of idea like uh, what if the Fantastic Four had gotten four different powers instead of the ones they got? There's nothing inevitable about the human torch bursting the flame, maybe something else could happen to right. it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, either I or Don or somebody else would go off and do this. You know, that Scott Shaw caught the bug and he did his, what if a radioactive boy, spider bit of, was bitten by a boy or something, or a radioactive boy or something. And then other people came along and did the same thing. Uh, Shooter was the first, but uh, he did a fine story and other people came along and just whatever they wanted to know. And it's, you know, uh, what if Gwen Stacy had lived? You know, what if Gwen Stacy, uh, you know, it's, there's, there's a, and the nice thing is that if you didn't like that answer, if you, you wait a year or two, you could do another what yeah, if right. Gwen Stacy had lived and something else happened. You know, you could do it forever. That's true. It was a, it was a, because every time you do a real story in the real continuity, until at least you decide to do something crazy, like wipe everything out. Uh, you've you've basically closed off something, right? Yeah. You've closed off another area. Once you've killed off Gwen Stacy, you you shut off that area unless you do something crazy like Stan, like that clone thing Stan insisted on for a while, and he really quickly saw that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> you know, if you if you don't have the if you don't have Spider Man join the Fantastic Four, that sends him off in a different direction. If you if you if you do this, you do that. Every single thing means that then you're going off in a different direction. But there's always those Robert Frost roads not taken, and and I. I just wanted to explore those. I thought it'd be a lot of fun, and it would have been. I just, just, I think I just was busy enough. I felt at that time I was busy enough with the uh, the various Robert E. Howard characters because I was editing them too and getting paid a little for that. Plus the invaders. Uh, that I, I just felt I didn't really need what if anymore. And I thought, ah, eh, you know, that's a lot of work. Every damn month you got to come up with a new whole new storyline from scratch. You know, it turned out to be more work than I. Maybe I was just too lazy to turn that what if right. So I, so I just gave it to other people. I said, well, you know, it's not like other people don't have uh, ideas of this. Anybody, you know, can come up with it. We'll get a nice variety. So I, after about 10 or 12 issues, I bugged out. And until the 90s, when Jean-Marc and I teamed up, actually, they came to me first and asked me to write the first one, which was uh, what? What if uh, the High Evolutionary had won the Evolutionary War? Or no, what, or if the yeah, what if the Avengers had lost the yeah. Evolutionary yeah. War? See, the, I had a little problem with it because I'd never read that stuff. You oh. know, I mean, I, I knew what had happened. I'd seen the books. I'd never read. So I got a, 
I had to have him send me a few comics, and I read them, and then I did a story. Okay. But that wasn't anything. That wasn't anything I really wanted to do the way that I had wanted to do the, the, the ten or twelve stories I did earlier. This was just something that was an assignment, and the others were things. Well, Jean Marc and I kind of we thought we'd have fun, work together, and so forth, and that was all right. But I had no passion, you know, beyond just wanting to be a professional, do a job, and have the check clear. Right. You know, uh, with the the '90s stuff, I was I was happy enough with it. I think it was probably as no good, better, no worse than a lot of the other stuff. But the stuff in the early days, that was stuff I really wanted to do. I, I even wanted to see what Sergeant Fury would do in World War II in outer space. Right. You know? <laughs> even if I didn't want to write it myself, I guess I was just too stained to write it. Well, our time is up here, and I want to make sure that I honor the our time commitment here. But uh, thank you so much, yeah. Roy, for speaking to me sure, on this. Right. It's kind of a limited, uh, a very limited text, but in some ways that made it easier, right? You yeah, know? yeah. Oh, for sure, because, absolutely. Because we, we otherwise we could have ranged all the way from 1965 to last week or something. This way, <laughs> yeah. we were kind of concentrated in a, a relatively small period of time. And uh, well, well, maybe we'll do it sometime with some, some other book. You know, yeah, the, we'll I would talk love about to. The 3D one the next time. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Well, thank you. Thank, thank you very, thank you very much.